This is a Hot Pie Media Original. Welcome to Overcome with Justin Wren. We have an incredible podcast with you today of someone I look up to, who I consider kind of a, a faraway mentor, but I've gotten to know him. Just spent six hours in his home with his wife, his children, his grandchildren. And I got to see the man that he is, hear the heart that he has. But you know, sometimes things don't match up with the way people portray or say, and then the way that they act. And man, Teddy is the complete opposite of that. What he says, he does. And it was awesome to see him being an incredible grandfather, an awesome husband. And his daughter wasn't doing well, uh, was feeling sick. And so the way that he brought her into the home, took care of her, fed her. I mean, he went out and got our team, six people who sprung up in his house for a full day. He went out to the deli, made sure that he got everyone their exact order by hand himself, and then brought me and Chris Murphy uh, back uh, our our gluten-free meals because we're celiac. And then, so this is Teddy Atlas, ladies and gentlemen. He is an incredible coach. I think he'll go down in the Hall of Fame if he isn't already for the Boxing Hall of Fame. He had coached, I don't know, eight or nine different world champions. He was under the tutelage of the great Customato up in the Catskill Mountains of New York. And they turned out so many world champions. He helped the Swedish Olympic team in boxing. He's one of the most iconic boxing commentators of all times, but man, is he humble and he's got the Dr. Teddy Atlas foundation. They've helped me and fight for the forgotten. They helped send Raiden to uh, LA uh, so that we could take him to Disneyland. He saw Raiden get bullied and beat up in the school bathroom. And so I was with Raiden two days after that. And Teddy reached out and said, I want to do something through my friend, Rob Moore. Who knows him? I've known Rob since high school, I think. We went to, to rival high schools. And Rob, thank you for helping set up this uh, podcast with Teddy in his home. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I've been to Teddy Atlas's foundation dinners. And wow, we talked about a lot of really great stuff. How you can apply how life is a fight. His podcast is called The Fight with Teddy Atlas. And this was a really fun and inspiring podcast for me because Teddy's has his foundation for 25 years. I've had mine for 10 and I would love uh, to leave a legacy like Teddy is doing, like he already has done. So this is a man you can learn from. Put on your, uh, your, your learner cap or I guess your headgear if we're going into the, to the fight and really try to learn from this man who puts love and compassion in action and who is one of the greatest coaches, I think, and how he can motivate people. I mean, you'll hear his, uh, I don't know what you call that. Amy, help me out. The influx of his, his mm-hmm. voice. So what's that called on radio? I don't Cadence, know. I don't Cadence. Know. You'll, you'll hear yeah. him go from slow, soft, telling a story to then he just really ramps it up and he just <laughs> goes and he's from Staten Island, New York. Uh, and so he had me on the edge of my seat and we talked about some hard things. Um, him losing some friends to addiction, him. I, I mean, this is a, he, he's a guy that has really grown up rough, even though he had a great f- uh, family and, and his foundation is in name, named after his father, who was a doctor in Staten Island 
who would go to people's homes in the middle of the night. He would wake up. Sometimes uh, he would put his his clothes, his doctor's clothes on over his pajamas and go to someone's house to do a house call completely for free. There's a powerful story there and how everyone in Staten Island just absolutely loved his father. And so, so cool. he gets to carry on that legacy. I just wanted to say, too, speaking of Staten Island, and you mentioned the Boxing Hall of Fame. Well, he has been inducted into the new, as far as I can tell, into the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame and in the Staten Island Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, going down, and let me try to set this up going into the, the podcast. We would, I mean, it was like the Hall of Fame of, of, of sports going into his home. There was pictures, posters. I mean, he worked on movies and set up choreography for them. And I mean, there's Evander Holyfield stuff. There's, I mean, all sorts of legends of the sport. And he's got all their signed gloves and um, just like historic artifacts of the sport of boxing, plus football, other things that people had sent him as gifts. The man's a legend. The man's a legend. And what makes him even more of a legend to me is he allowed me to bring Chris into his home, a man that we helped restore his smile, Miracle Smile Chris, with Dr. Dave Frank here at Walden Dental in Austin. And someone in Chris's family was going through a hard time. And we opened up about Chris's story. We told Teddy how we just got off the Brooklyn Bridge where we were rewriting Chris's story, where he almost jumped off the bridge. But he heard me on Joe Rogan's podcast, decided not to jump while he was on the wooden planks, looking at the beam to jump off. And Teddy's just locked in, listening to Chris, loving Chris. Like you, he was loving him by listening to him so intently. And then when Chris shared something about a family member that he loves that's struggling, Teddy just goes, I don't know if I told you this, Amy. He goes, call him. No, and, he didn't. And Chris is like, what? He's a big fan of yours. And he goes, call him. I want to talk to him. Wow. And it was like, whoa, what? So he called him and that person wasn't in the mind frame to talk to Teddy, but didn't know it was Teddy. So Teddy and I sit down, we do a two hour pod, hour and 20 minute podcast. And then afterwards, Teddy goes, call him again. Wow. And he spoke to him and spoke life into him and spoke. Really? Yeah. Spoke <gasps> like he was speaking to a guy in between rounds. He was like, listen, and I'm not going to use a person's name, but he's like, listen, this is what you need to do. Yeah. Can you dig deep? Can you, can you, can you fight? Like, he's like, who's your favorite fighter? Can you fight like this fighter? This life is a fight. He's got iconic things where he's like, be the fireman. What do firemen do? They go into the fire. They control the fire. They push back the fire, you know? And, and the way that he spoke into this man's life that was really needing it. I mean, was that the lowest of lows? And for Teddy to take compassion on not just me bringing Chris in there and inviting him to have a seat at the table, literally his dinner table, to then hearing about this guy that he just came to care for, his family member, and said, this guy's a New Yorker. He's one of us. Call him. I want to speak life into him. I want to fight for him. I was like, whoa, this is Teddy Atlas in action right now. We could have only been there for two hours. We ended up spending over six hours in his home seeing what a, what a great grandfather, father, and husband he is. So anyways, I don't need to make this intro too, too long, but that's the kind of man you're about to hear from. Get ready to be inspired. 
get ready to learn some of the techniques that you need to know to overcome in this this fight of life. Remember, you've overcome 100% of your darkest days. Teddy, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I'm I'm really, really grateful. Um, I got to see you upstairs with Mara. Your grand granddaughter? Yeah. You're gonna meet you're gonna meet my grandson Joseph later. Okay. I would love to meet Joseph. Yeah, he'll he'll, be, he'll make sure that he meets you before you leave. One of the uh, one of the sweetest grandfather, granddaughter, or grand grandparent and grandchild moment I saw was you. I don't know, she was she was playing almost hide and seek or she would go hide and you're like, Where's where's Mara? <laughs> where's Mara? It's so cute. Yeah, hiding uh, behind the couch pillows. Yeah. Making my wife very happy when she has to rearrange them later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Elaine's so sweet too. I got to meet her. And, and, you know, I've gotten to see, actually, I'm going to show you this real quick, but I've gotten to see a little bit into your life. We're in your home. Very grateful that, that you are, but I was going to show you, you're talking about the Dr. Theodore Atlas foundation earlier uh, and you being on stage with Santa Claus. I was going to show you this and do you see that? That's a picture of Santa oh, that's Claus. Santa Claus, baby. Can you uh you know how to zoom in on that? I can show you. That's you, isn't it? That's that is me. Wow. Can you believe that? Even behind the glasses I can figure it out. <laughs> wow, that's a beautiful picture. Yeah. Santa Claus, you got kids on your lap. There. Yeah, that was some of the foster care kiddos in, in Oklahoma. And you know, the universal thing with Santa Claus with kids is that it brings one thing, smiles. Smiles, absolutely. And that's, that's whether they're foster kids or whatever, where, or whatever part of the world they come from, the smile is universal. Yep. Makes them happy. Wow. It does. I, I, I fell into that by accident, being Santa Claus. But uh, I, I, I guess now I've got a goal, you know, being an athlete, you always set goals. This was at a children's hospital mm. with some of the little guys. But now I, I think I could, you know, when same I'm thing, the same thing. Here you are in the hospital with a little girl. Obviously, she's sick, yeah. and uh, she's got a smile on her face. Yeah, you know, because she ain't thinking about being sick right now. She's with Santa Claus. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's magic. You know, David Copperfield don't know crap, <laughs> and he's good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm not knocking Dave. I didn't come here to knock David Copperfield, but um, the magic is within all of us. You don't even know it sometimes. Just putting on a Santa Claus suit. Yeah, I, that actually happened by accident. Not that one. That was like my seventh or eighth year doing it. But when I was 25, I was invited to the Dallas Mavericks uh, family family and friend night, and uh, their Christmas party. And then all of a sudden I was, I walked in and the Dallas Mavericks cheerleader, like makeup artist, all of a sudden she goes, you can save Christmas. And I was like, what? What do you mean? I had a big beard. I just gotten back from Africa and I, uh, I hadn't perfect. cut my beard in a year. So uh, she, she had said. And you're big. Yeah, you know, I'm big. Yeah, yeah, I'm big. She goes, Santa just called. You had a beard and you were 90 pounds. I, I'm not, <laughs> That's not right. so sure that you'd be. That's right. Candidate. But being a heavyweight fighter, but I was only 25. And she said, she said, Santa just called in sick. We have the suit with, there's a, there's a costume, uh, store across the street. You talk about fate. Yeah. And you talk about timing. Timing is everything. You know? Wow. Yeah. So that was, that's been something I've actually done the last eight years. This will be my ninth year doing it. Uh, I've never, I've never taken any pay for it. It's always volunteer. Um, and I love doing it. Like you said, it's magic when you see those kids smile. 
But I think when I'm 45, I might be able to be the youngest Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Santa. <laughs> We're in New York or in Staten Island. And I, uh, I don't know that that's a real goal, but, but uh, he gets paid well. But he's also bringing all those, those smiles. So Yeah, that's what matters. Yeah. Well, I love seeing you bringing the smile to your granddaughter while we we're eating lunch. And thank you for welcoming us into your home. Well, it's a pleasure. You know, I said to you earlier that for me to get on the guest list, it's not complicated to come in my house. Just be a decent person. Mm. And um, you people are decent people. Thank you. And that's, that's a, you know, it's simple, but it's uh, it's important. Yeah. Well, I think for you, it it seems very apparent that you had great parents and that they were a great influence in your life and in the community. And that, I think that's why the, the name of the foundation is after your father. And he was more than a decent person. I, 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 I talked to Sharon today from oh, the foundation. I, I didn't even know. Yeah. I called her and I was like, what, what do you, she gave me a few prompts of, of some questions I can ask you, but she also, I was like, what do you, what do you remember of, of Teddy's father and, um, or senior? And she said, well, I didn't get to know him like a lot of people did, but his reputation like far precedes him because everywhere you go, you hear that he wasn't just a great doctor, but he was a great man and a philanthropist at heart. And for you, I mean, I, I don't really truly know the story of your father, but I thought I could, you could share that with me a little. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, medicine comes in different forms. Mm, I love that. Yeah. You know, you, you don't necessarily have to, uh, be from the medical world, have a PhD in, you know, distributing, uh, medicine, uh, to help people, to cure people. Mm. I remember one time my father was doing house calls, right? This to get right to the point, really. And um, the only way I could be around my father was to go on house calls with him because he left early in the morning, he came home. You know, like he didn't have hours like a, even like a normal, I was going to like say like a normal person, you know, obviously nine to five or anything like that. But even as a normal doctor, because he ignored the hours that were posted up on his wall because he just stayed till there was no more patients. Yeah. If a patient walked in, if 10 walked in, if, you know, he was, he, he wasn't saying, Hey, you didn't see the three thirty on the door. You know, it's four o'clock now. You can't, you got to come back to him. No, it wasn't even a thought. He was open to anybody who was sick and anybody who was sick at that moment. And, um, so I was, I was 10 years old, whatever. Nine, ten, eleven, all around those ages, and any time I wanted to be with him, I would just have to, you know, figure out a way to either go down to the office to hang out or go on a house call. And so I would, when I would hear the phone ring. See, back in those days, of course, there were no, there was no beepers. There were no, of course, there were no cell phones. But um, he just had an old fashioned. Uh, answering service where the they would call in, the patients would call in to the answering service and then the answering service, my father would get a call from them the next day, you know, he'd call them, but he would call them and he would find out, you know, who had called in and then he would tell the answering service if it's anything 
of any kind of, you know, seriousness. Um, don't wait till tomorrow. Call me. And that wasn't really the protocol for most doctors, you know. I mean, if you if once it got past a certain hour, you went to the emergency room. If you could get there. Right. You know. My father's patients couldn't even get to the emergency room. He got to them first. Yeah. And 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 he wow. his patients were all the people that fell through the cracks, uh, so to speak, and living, you know, on the edge. Some of them didn't have really much. And uh in the projects wherever the most, whoever the most difficult sometimes ways of uh, life were. I mean, you can live in the projects and have a great way of life. Um, most of my friends did, and have a beautiful way of life. But you could also be there, and and there could be difficulty. There could be some things that um, are not as providable as they are in other in other places. And um, he. He was known as the guy that took care of everybody, but particularly the people that needed most taken care of, mm. that were sick even when they weren't sick, mm. that were having problems. Like I remember the foundation one time was helping people after one of the storms. I think it was Storm Sandy. We were down there helping people like everyone else, no different. And and um, somebody said, uh, you're, you're helping these, these people, you know, that are, that have been so devastated that are so much in need. And then one of my guys turned around to me, reminded me, said, "You, our foundation, your foundation, whatever, our foundation, uh, helps people that have a storm every day. Mm. <laughs> it don't have to, it don't have to bring the ocean, uh, you know, up, up across the streets like this one did. Uh, you, we're dealing with people that every day, there might as well have been a, a disaster because their life is in that kind of place. And um, that's where my father was. He was the guy that when they were sick, it was worse, but th th there was a lot of them that were sick every day. Mm. And there, the way they could and couldn't take care of their families and have to deal with certain things. And I would, I would, hear, I would hear the phone ring past midnight, whatever. I don't know. It could be 12. It could be 1230. It could be one o'clock. It could be maybe sometimes later. And um, I knew what it was. I knew it was the answer service. So I got up and I got my clothes on and I went to down the hallway and he was coming out and he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm going with you. <laughs> he said, get back in bed. He goes, you can't come. You get back in bed. And um, I remember when he would walk past me, I would try to really sell it that I could go with him, you know, sell him on it. But when he would walk past me, I I never really knew what it was until I got older. I know that sounds a little, little silly. I wouldn't have been a good detective, obviously. But there was always something hanging out of his pants. It was his pajamas. <laughs> I didn't realize till I got older that was his pajamas. Wow. Yeah, because he threw his pants on. He, yeah, he yeah, got yeah, going yeah. because it was it was a need to get moving. Yeah. And um, sometimes, I mean, when it was that late, I couldn't go. But when it was earlier, like when there were opportunities to go earlier in the night, um, I was there on many house calls. 
And there was one where we were going down the street, and I I noticed that we had been there before, and that was very unusual that to do a same house call like in a week, and we had. So I was like, well, she must be, it turned out it was a lady. Uh, she must be very sick. You know, I said to this person, I said, yeah, it's an older lady. I said, she must be very sick. And when we pulled up, I noticed it was cold and she was already outside waiting with like a gown, a nightgown on or something. And she was old, you know, whatever. And I remember my father, it was like a protocol, like without a protocol, without it ever being formalized or spoken about, that I stayed in the car. And I never thought about it. I just stayed in the car. But when I got older, I realized it wasn't professional to go in the house with a doctor. Yeah. Even if you are his son, right. he's taking care of business. Yeah. <laughs> and and he would leave the keys. I was there, you know, it was cold. And he would leave the keys. And I remember he would say to me, if it gets too cold, start it up. I never started up. I never knew it was too cold. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't know like if you could handle it. Because that's that was him. He he'd be going in there with no coat. He'd be going in there with just his jacket. He 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 never wore a winter coat. You know, and he would only have one glove because everyone bought him gloves. All his patients for the holidays, everyone would buy him gloves, like buying a tie. Everyone would buy him gloves, but he would lose them. And but 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 he would somehow find one, <laughs> and he'd use that one for the doctor's bag because he had a big and he had a real doctor's bag. It wasn't one of those things that looked like a purse, you know, those little. But I've seen them. I, I remember seeing the tie, and I was a kid. My father had to say, "Don't say that," you know, because. I, I saw, I said, what's that? I saw one of the doctors walking around with this thing that was about this big. I was like, that, that's not a doctor's bag. Because this was this <laughs> Yeah. It was a doctor's bag. It had construction guy going into like Yeah, it had hammers and nails and, you know, and then sores. You know, so you're ready to do what you got to do. You got to yeah, build yeah. something. Mm -hmm. You got to fix people. You need a freaking doctor's bag, a right. real doctor's bag. I was like, these guys. So my thing, of course, I'm a kid. I said, they're not doctors. <laughs> my father said, yeah, your dad's got the mobile clinic. Yeah, they're not He's taking the ambulance with them. These man. guys are just, yeah. you know, I don't know, they're doing some yeah. kind of game show, but whatever. So we, so I'd stay there and I'd try to get some words in quick before he left. So he was about to leave, you know, he would always have to, there was always, again, it was a, a routine. He, he'd get out of the door and the doctor bag was in the back seat. So he'd have to open that up. So I had a few more seconds to talk and he would have to open that up and get the bag and go in. And um, as he was doing all that, I said, I said, uh, she must be real sick, you know, I, as we were pulling up. And he said, no, he said, she's really pretty healthy for her age. I was like, the, the much, why are we here? And he said to me, just before he shut the door, when he grabbed the bag, he said, she's lonely and that's her sickness too. And shut the door. Wow. That's and, profound. Yeah, I mean, so that's what I mean. You you can be a doctor in a lot of ways. So when he got back in the car, like, well, how did you treat, you know, I didn't get that complex, so I'm a 10-year-old kid, but you know, I was yeah. like, what did you do? And he said, I, I let her make me a cup of tea, and I listened to her. Wow. And, and he had his own humility that was really, really strong. 
but it was it was really it came out it was powerful he just said people he wasn't afraid to say the truth mm. in all dimensions of it and he just said to me she makes me a cup of tea uh, I listen and she tells me what a great doctor I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's saying in the same breath, I didn't do yeah, nothing. Yeah. yeah. But he did do something. Right. He did do something. Wow. And and uh and then of course he told me that he he had at some point told me that he gave a at the time he told me I give a he didn't use the technical term, I learned it later, placebo. But he gave us sugar pills. And and again, he said how great the pills worked, <laughs> and what a great doctor you are. Wow! And um, so that you know, when I went to my second father, whatever surrogate father, later on, years later, up in Catskill, a custom model, the great custom model. Right. But it always came back to my father. Mm -hmm. Everything I learned. Yeah. But he used to have a way of articulating things. My father didn't talk a lot. He did a lot. That, for him, it was about doing. It, it was about doing. It wasn't about talking. And so when I later on had the opportunity and, and saved my life to a certain extent, maybe, well, saving your life, so that's it. It either does or doesn't. And, and I guess it did. Going up to Catskill to fight and then be with Carson and later on become not only fight but become a trainer. Um, he used to have a saying. And I think it fits. He used to say, Teddy, you learn sometimes through osmosis. <laughs> and you know what? There's truth to that. You know, the, the saying that we would say it would be, you learn through example, you learn through watching. Yeah. But you learn through osmosis. It, it sometimes gets absorbed if you see something enough. They say, I mean, there's that old saying or study that says you're an average of the top five people you hang around, that you spend the most time with. You become an average of that. And I think the study breaks it down to where if you hang around five negative people, that's who you spend the most of your time with when you're presented an, an opportunity or uh, an adversity, you're going to tend to think more negatively. But if you're around five positive people, it's almost like that osmosis. You're spending time with them and you know, they, they broke it down to like three and two, like you'll, you'll tend to think more positively about a situation when you're presented it than if you're hanging around more negative people. I think that's great. You say that because your your father was a great example by the actions he took. And I have always thought love, love is a verb. It's an action word. And some people might not say it, but they sure show it. And then some people say it, but they don't show it. And is that really love if you say it and you're not showing it through your actions? So your father might've been a man of a few, fewer words, but I think that he was a man of great love. And that's why, you know, the Teddy Atlas foundations, uh, coming on it's, or this is it's the 25th year anniversary. Yeah. And that's, that's incredible. The impact you guys have made, you've impacted my nonprofit, but, but just a minute ago, I was hearing the, the footsteps upstairs and, little Mara running around. And I think that if your father was able, I mean, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but I think he would tell you he's, he's proud of the type of grandfather you are. Uh, it's just, it's just great, man. You're a role model and a mentor. And yeah, I'm really grateful for, for men like you that 
or continuing your father's legacy, but then I think even adding to it in a way that when you see someone like your father, where they're, they're falling through the cracks, your foundation's the one that, that steps in and says how you're going to help. For me, with Fight for the Forgotten, our foundation, we're, we're 10 years into existence, but we've really started to grow this last two or three years. You're doing good stuff. Thank you. I'm very grateful for that. But you also helped us in a great way with a young man named Raiden, uh, who was incredibly bullied. Um, and I could relate to him because I saw myself in him. I was bullied from third to eighth grade. Really, See, that's bullied. his sickness. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, but you're great. I mean, that's a sickness. Yeah. As much as cancer, as much as diabetes. Is, I mean, that's a sickness that's out there. Yeah. Well, 12 to 13 million students this year will be impacted. I didn't know the number, being but bullied. that's not a shock. Yeah. Just in the U.S., 12 and to 13 million. And then it's got to be remedied. It's got to be uh, treated. Yeah. You know, and it can't be treated with, you know, with uh, conventional medicine, but it's got to be treated in the ways that people like you will help treat it. Sure. Well, you helped us go. So for the listeners that don't know, Raiden was born with autism, also born deaf in his right ear completely. And uh, he had diabetes, childhood diabetes, and he gained 110 pounds in 11 months once they changed up his medications. And so, uh, you know, he, he had to battle the being overweight and then being picked on because of that, also because of his hearing aid, also because of being autistic. And when you and Rob, I've known Rob, uh, who helps you in your podcast, and uh, I've known him for uh, we, we went to rival high schools actually in the same town, uh, just across the street from each other. And, wow. uh, but, but Rob, I think showed you the video of Raiden and, uh, you know, he's beat up by the urinal in his school. Uh, 13 kids were in that, that, uh, bathroom and filming it, posting on Snapchat and Instagram, social media. Um, and then he was also beat up at the bus stop the very next day. Uh, and three, three people jumped them at once. You were part of the solution or the treatment, the, the, the medicine to bring in some fun because whenever I met him, he still had Sharpie marks in his arms from writing. Um, I want to kill myself in his, in his, in his, uh, inner inside of his forearm. And you sent us to the, your foundation, sent us to Disneyland altogether. It was their, their family's first time on a plane, mom, dad, uh, who's Danny in Scotland. And then there's Raiden and there's a little brother Brock. And I mean, I posted that video after I knew him for a month because I wanted to wait on it, get to know him, have a relationship with him. But then whenever his parents said, we want to have a little, uh, you know, all the media was coming at him, but they said, we want to have a press conference where we say we forgive the kids and that we just don't want other kids to experience what Raiden's uh, experienced. So I thought that was a very brave and bold of them, but man, seeing them on their plane for the first time, Raiden and Brock and I, the, 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 the flight attendants already knew his story. Cause I posted, it went out to like 28 million people or something wildly. Wow. And it's incredible. Yeah. But y'all bought us those tickets. And then all of a sudden the, the flight attendant had known Raiden's story already. Y'all are going to Disneyland. Why don't you jump on? Because you made a video from your office upstairs with the portrait of your father behind you. And uh, they upgrade us to first class. Uh, we got to sit there. We got to eat on meals on the way back though. It was funny. It was Raiden. Yeah. Raiden was like, where's, where's our hot tea? Where's our meal? <laughs> I'm like, this isn't first class buddy. <laughs> but uh but that fun, I think, was was just what the doctor ordered 
for Raiden to escape the childhood trauma he was experiencing and to be able to go be walked around the Star Wars area with Chewbacca himself and him okay. point at me and tell, telling Chewie, Chewie, that's your brother, the vanilla gorilla, you know, and that's beautiful. having fun. Uh, that's beautiful. That was really great. So Said thank we you could be that. a small part of it. It wasn't a small part. It was, it was a big part. And I know that's, that's the humility of even your father shining through you right there, but uh, it kickstarted a domino effect. It was that, that stone that was thrown into the water that created a ripple that once we got to LA, uh, my friend AJ Buckley from CBS SEAL team, he got us on set. The director there decided to write in a character because there's already Brock, which is his little brother's name. So they wrote in a character, Raiden, so he could be, uh, not him, but a character could be named after him. How, How great is that? Yeah. It was it was incredible. We got the 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 red carpet treatment. We got to go to the LA Rams game and be on the sidelines. We got to go with like world champion surfers surfing for their first time ever at the ocean. Wow. Their wow. first time ever seeing the Hollywood sign. Uh w- Navy SEALs were flying us over it in a helicopter. It I mean it just so better. it spread like wildfire and um, you know, that wasn't the, the, the end of it, just the fun, because if you have all that fun and then you come back and then there's no fun or you go back right in that environment, I think, uh, Raiden could have been let down, but now he's in jujitsu with my, my coach who is, uh, Rafael Lovato jr. He's won 12 world medals in jujitsu, the best American <laughs> to ever do it. At least most accomplished six time world champion. Now he's got a mentor in Rafael. I moved from there. So I was with Raiden for about That's a year great. and a half, but, uh, he's. He's he's been taken under the wing of a lot of guys, and it's been. It's going to be a little harder for those guys to bully him now. That's true. He's he's two hundred fifty pounds. He's eye to eye with me. I'm six foot three. They might learn what it feels like on the other end of it. You know, and and I'm not being mean spirited. No, I know. say that at all. No, but I think whenever you do feel that, it it reminds you, or it gives. It's almost like a mirror. Uh, that reminds me of Dustin Poirier saying about the Conor McGregor fight. Whenever. He said, karma's not a bitch, it's a mirror. And you get to like look back at yourself sometimes. Yeah, and and, and I mean it in a couple ways. Not afraid to say it in, in a way that it, you can feel scared, hmm. the way this kid felt scared. Wow. That's one way. Yeah. But then I mean it in the other way too, where you, that you just touched on, that you could see where it was wrong. Hmm. Where where you could feel some shame towards it or awareness so you could have shame. Yeah. You know, just awareness that, that, Hey, that wasn't too cool. You know, that, 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 it didn't feel good to me to be scared. Wow. Reminds me what it felt to him. And with 13, instead of just one, you know, um, it's, it's not something that is a game. Because I think sometimes the kids don't realize the uh, seriousness of what those actions have behind them. My parents have a photography studio. And I remember my mom having tears streaming down her face when I walked into their office once. And she showed me a plaque. They made, they were a sports photography company, but they had taken photos of this kiddo. And my mom knew uh, his mom. And she was sending out a memorial plaque for this young man. And she said it could have been you because she knew I was suicidal at 13 years old. This kid was being bullied at school and was told you should just kill yourself. So he actually went and he did it. And at nine years old, he knew how to tie a belt 
and hang himself. And I don't think enough of us know, like we have to make good choices and the, the negative choices we make, bad choices we make have, have a repercussion to them. There's a, there's almost a reward for the good choices, but there's, there's definitely can be consequences for the, for the bad choices we make. We have a character development program with fight for the forgotten that's in martial arts academies. It's been in over a hundred martial arts academies around the country and even Scotland and England, but it's called heroes in waiting. And what that means is like, we all can be a hero, but a hero doesn't have a supernatural power, superhuman strength. It's just someone who sees a need and takes action. It's simple. See a need, take action. That's why I think you're a hero to many, but they, we also show in there that, you know, the, we, we have little challenges, hero challenges. And one of them's like, go out and complete a secret random act of kindness. And I, I love that one. Um, cause you don't need a credit for it. The hero doesn't need the praise and the Instagram likes and all that. He just does it cause it's the right thing to do. But they say the most powerful thing, bringing it back to what you said, like being able to see it and, and, and know that that doesn't feel right. The bystander has the most power in, um, or we need to empower the bystander because they're either a silent supporter. They're not an innocent bystander. They're either a silent supporter or they're active in the bullying or they're part of the solution. And so whenever a bystander takes action and they say something as simple as, Hey, that's not kind. Hey, that's not kind. And they speak up for the person that's being bullied, speak to the bully. They're assertive and they say, Hey, that's not kind. Uh, there's a statistic that says, I think 87% of the time it stops bullying. In the first 10 seconds. So nine times out of 10. Just that. Yeah. Hey, that's not kind. Hey, it's no different than a kid, you know, when they don't know. I'm talking about a real baby, like my grandchildren. Um, My grandson's just going to about, well, I have two grandsons. They're beautiful. One's three. He lives in Vegas with my son and his wife. My son works for the Vegas Raiders. He's Hmm. assistant uh, director of scouting there. And so we don't see him enough, so it hurts us. But um, we miss him. But we have the two here with us. And, uh, you know, so we have four. He's about to be four. My grandson, my granddaughter's about to be two. And they both went through the stages. Uh, My granddaughter's still a tiny bit where they get mad, they bite you. Yeah. And you got to teach them. You don't hit them. Yeah, you tell them that hurts, and and you know they're obviously they're at a different place of understanding where they're still at that that very you know early stages of being able to comprehend those things. But uh, they can. There's there's a universal language, you know, and it doesn't have to be pain back to them because it's not not but decent parents, decent grandparents. Yeah, you know, it's it's teaching. That you teach them that, you know, and you have to work at it, but yeah, that hurts because they don't know it hurts. Yeah. I think sometimes these kids, that to, to the point we were talking about these kids, um, they think it's a video game sometimes. Mm-hmm. I know that might sound abstract to some people and sound like a way out for these kids. And I'm not trying to give anyone a way out. Um, you're responsible for your actions. But uh, I think sometimes they live in such a virtual world nowadays that it's it's almost like it's not real yeah like like they're doing these things to this kid and it's not real you know what i mean it, it, they're it, not it, doing it in person they don't see that yeah, person's reaction yeah. and, and see him cry and, and yeah and i would like to see <laughs> i know people would gonna say daddy that wouldn't sell too good but um i don't know I'd like to see a video game that may be on the other side of it 
that teaches you what that feels like. Oh yeah. You know, just, just, uh, you know, a different superhero, mm. uh, a guy that can come and teach kids that they, you know, those things, you know, we, we know that, you know, see them as bad as much as they are, as, you know, dangerous or as hurtful, but, you know, they are, they can lead to, and I don't mean traumatize kids, but, you know, show them what it can lead to, to a certain extent yeah. within the realm that you can, within the video game realm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen, I think that's a great point. And I, I've seen martial arts well, it helped me so much when I was being bullied and I found MMA and then I chose the sport of wrestling. I ended up winning a couple national championships in wrestling and was state champ, all American national champ. But like your man, Dustin Poirier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it comes on our show a lot. He's, yeah. He's, he's awesome. I got a shirt on right now. Yeah, the good yeah, fight foundation. Yeah, he, he runs a good, he runs a good foundation over there. Yeah. I've seen martial arts change his life, my life, but you've seen it um, in many ways. I think change kids' lives is a sport of boxing. And what do you think it is about boxing, combat sports? Because over the last year or two, maybe I've, I've seen you go, you, you've spoke more about MMA too. So maybe from both sides of it, boxing, combat sports, what do you think the, the characteristics or the attributes, why does that help people that might be falling through the cracks or might be being bullied or might be, uh, you know, going through this internal struggle, but they find a way to overcome. This podcast is called Overcome with Justin Wren. So I think martial arts, combat sports helps people overcome. And from you being such a great trainer, training so many world champions, um, you also, I think, can relate with having a little bit of a a, a troubled past or, a, a you know, a, a struggle early on in life until you found the sport of boxing. What did it do for you? What have you seen it do for others? It teaches. Mm. You know, there's a simple word word for um, we search out different things. Sometimes it's it's much more simple than something that we're looking for the true nature and answer to what can help people in the world of my father, for example. Of you know what truly constitutes help, what truly gets the job done, what truly is the magic. Mm. I think it's one word in that world. Care. Mm. Just to let someone know that they care about. And I think in the world that you're talking about, um, I think it's to teach young people, teach these kids, these whatever age they're at, um, usually at a, you know, formative time in their life, teach them that they can depend on themselves, hmm. that there's a worthiness wow. to themselves Yeah, that they never saw, they never felt, they never understood before, that there's a worthiness. And once they know that, then they know that they count. Hmm. They matter. Yeah. And and um, it makes all the difference in the world. Now all of a sudden they have feet to stand on where they didn't really have legs to stand on before. That's the legs. Yeah. That's the legs. And uh, 
people ask me sometimes, like Christmas time, we hand out 7,000 toys around New York. Um, but the Dr. Atlas Foundation, and we picked the right schools. We picked Title I schools, families making less than 35000 a year. That's that's poverty. Yeah, and, sure. and and usually there's no fathers. And um, so we, when we go into these schools, usually to, I don't know what the percentage is, but a high percentage, this is the only toy they're getting, which is This is the only tough. toy they're getting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Which is crazy. I mean, yeah. uh, we're living in one of the richest cities in the world, but it's a reality. And um, so someone asked me, you know, obviously it brings immediate joy to them. Uh, but beyond that, now you don't have to go beyond that. That could be enough. But beyond that, I remember someone asked me, Teddy, is there any beyond that? I said, damn right, there's beyond that. It It's... It's just sometimes the spark that starts something, just, you know, the the light that gets put on where you, the electricity starts to go somewhere and it goes beyond that one light. There might be 40 other lights to light up and it could be 40 lights, not in 40 different people, in one person. Yeah. And one of those lights that generate, you know, this effect to spread this kind of, you know, electricity, if you will, this light, if you will, is just simply to know that somebody cared about them and now that it's all right to care about themselves. Mm. I do incentive programs with the Dr. Atlas Foundation, amongst the other things we do, medical stuff, whatever. And um, what we do is we go into these Title I schools and we tell the kids, there's a lot of problems. A lot of problems. And we tell them, and and I'm not even getting into illiteracy and all that. I mean, I'm, I'm getting into just the way they conduct themselves. So the way they behave. And there's a reason. And, and the easiest thing, if you wanted to just use a, a broad brush to say, uh, it's just bad kids. No. I know it's going to sound naive to a lot of people. I don't think there's bad kids. I, I think there's kids that um, have gotten into bad places within themselves that makes them look bad and um, makes them more prone to doing things that we call bad. Um, but a kid, and, and I know that they're influenced by their upbringing, the people around them and all that stuff. I get that. I don't have to have a degree. I don't have to have something posted on a wall behind me telling me I have a degree from some fancy college to know that. It's called life. Yeah. <laughs> and it's called understanding life because you can't understand it. And that's sometimes not the only professor you need. But I I know that I know that when I go into these schools, we go into these schools and we tell the kids, I make it real simple. Okay. You start caring about who you are. Take ownership over who you are. And over the next marking period, whatever, six weeks, whatever it is, seven weeks, whatever, your teachers will put the ones that change their mode of behavior, start showing they care about who they are and taking responsibility for who they are, will be put on a list. And I'll come back and drop off 100 tickets to a Yankee game, a Mets game, a Knicks game, a Nets game, and supply the buses. From the Dr. Atlas Foundation. All right, see you later. 
I keep it real simple, I'm telling you, because, you know, these, these kids have been through so much BS. Yeah. They know who's BS and they know, you know what I mean? So sometimes less is more. Yeah. <laughs> so I just keep it like, I say, okay, later. And they're like, he just said that? He, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the teachers follow up and all of a sudden kids said, and I'm talking about, when I talk about problems, I mean, they're putting their hands on teachers, they're putting their hands on other kids. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, listen, I tell you, I give, I, the first time I went to one of these schools, one of these uh, at-risk schools, yeah. really tough one, I wouldn't say the school, and they wouldn't mind if I did, I don't think, but I'm not going to say it. This was years ago, years ago. I walked in, I never, how can you forget it? I, I get there, and there's ambulances and cop cars. Wow. So I said, I must be the school. You know, I, you know, like I, I hate to be that honest and that candid, but from everything I knew where I was going, it wasn't like I made a wrong left turn. You know, I said, <laughs> cop cars, something's going on, something, you know, with, with the school. And these, unfortunately, there's a reason why these kids are in that school and, and, uh, prone to certain kinds of uh, reactions, behavior. So I get there and they, Got to wait downstairs. Somebody, who are you? Uh, show your ID, and then somebody comes down. That's Mr. Atlas. He's here to. I'm sorry. Just we gotta. I'm just you know just hey, you know, do whatever. Something happened. Obviously, something not too good. Just take care of it, and uh, I hang out. And then finally, they get it settled down. You know, I wait a while, and um, one of the one of the you know heads of the school. Uh, Comes over to me, listen, Miss Alice. Uh, the the exact uh, classroom that you were going to speak to. Uh, what happened was one of the kids was being bullied and attacked by these kids, chastised, whatever, and he went out on the ledge and he jumped. Ugh. It's like, oh, can you imagine that? That desperation, that sadness, getting to a place where join the class. He opens up the window, you know, and he goes out on the ledge. And and he didn't jump right away. They was telling him to jump. Whoa. And, uh, you know, you're not going to jump. Tell him when. Before the teacher could, you know, obviously get him in the classroom, you know, he jumped. He lived. I mean, thank God. But, yeah, thank God. But, um, you know, the damage it wasn't whatever it was to the bones, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's traumatic. I mean, I mean like how do you how do you fix that stuff? Yeah. And that's what we're talking about. And yeah. so that those are the schools that we we bring these programs to. And that you just so what happens is with these and that that was that's the worst end of the spectrum. But what happens since we've been doing these programs is that um we get a lot of kids that turn it around. Mm. And and then here's to the point, and and somebody asked me because they wanted to talk about it. Somebody from one of the local papers, whatever, said, "What do you attribute it to?" Because we've talked to the teachers, we've talked to the principals, we've talked to the social workers. Um, it's made a difference. Like a lot of these kids have changed their, mm -hmm. their their attitudes, their behavior. Like they're not being violent, they're not doing this, they're not bullying, they're not whatever. Um, what do you attribute it to? Uh, you attribute it to the tickets to the Met game. You attribute it to the to this that, that. And I say, I attribute it to giving these kids a reason to say it's okay to think they're good people. Mm. 
to to give them the green light to think it's okay to feel good about themselves. Mm. To give them the green light to know that somebody cares enough about them that they could care about themselves, that there's a worthiness, again, back to that worthiness. word, a worthiness to them. Because you want to know the truth? They didn't know. Yeah. Because where they're coming from, some of you wouldn't be surprised. Some of you would, um, would lose a little sleep if you knew where these kids were coming from and how, I'll get right to it, how abused they are. Yeah. Some of them. And, and, and how beaten down they are. And what does that lead to? I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not trying to be that, but I don't have to be. I know that world. I know life. I know what's going on in there. What if I've been around it? And um, so, all all they all they know is that they're taught. You know, you teach about talk about teaching, and you talk about osmosis. They're taught that. They ain't worth crap. Mm -hmm. They're taught that they're not good. They're taught that they're bad. They're taught that they're the cause of a problem. Yeah. That's that is a freaking hell of a thing to put onto a kid. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That they I mean, I was walking home from Gleason's gym. I know I'm jumping around, but you know no, what? That's good. what I do. Yeah. I, I I'm sorry. And I I was I was training fighters. This was many years ago at Gleason's gym in Manhattan. It was still in Manhattan, right near Madison Square. What a place! What a place! I mean, God, oh my God! Two rings in there, upstairs balcony. You can watch what's going on. People come in during lunchtime, and I'm training my fight. I just came down from um, Catskill, yeah. you know, from custom models and I was on my own now and um, I'm training down at Gleason's gym. Now it's in Brooklyn. It's been in Brooklyn for 25 years, maybe more. So you show you how many years ago that must have been. And and here we are. And depending on the way I felt that day, I would either go to Penn Station, take a subway back to the back to the South Ferry to go to Staten Island. Yeah, we had a ferry. Yeah. And um, I either do that or I would walk subway stops and just keep walking to either I jump on because I had so many choices. I had 34th Street, I had 28th Street. I still remember them. I had 14th Street. I had Chambers Street. I had all these choices. And if I felt like I could keep walking right to the South Ferry. So on this particular night, I just felt like, you know, sometimes you got to walk. And I'm walking. And as I'm walking, you see things in New York. Mm. I mean, it's New York. And I'm walking, you know, not things I hadn't seen, but I mean, you see them. And uh, I remember that, uh, again, this is a lot of years ago, but obviously it stayed with me. I remember this young mother with two young kids and the oldest of the young kids. And uh, I think of my grandkids, actually, when I think about. Um, he was probably about what my grandson is. Or maybe a, maybe a year younger. My grandson's about to be four. He was probably about three. And she was beating him up mm. on the street. You know, anybody could see it. You know, it wasn't like she was hiding it. So the, what does that tell you? That this ain't just the first time, you yeah. know, right? <clears throat> and she's beating him up, you know? And his poor kid, he's getting beat up. And, and she's calling him, I don't know what was worse, the punches that he was getting hit on the side of his little body 
and slaps on his head or the words that were coming out of his mother's mouth. And he was no good. He was a piece of this and you effed up my whole life. Mm. Wow. And, um, you know, in New York, people get into having like the, they're afraid to interject, you know, like it's not your yeah. business. You keep walking, but how do you not interject? You know, it's tough. And I'm thinking, yeah. I'm being very honest. I'm no superhero. I'm, I'm like, I'm like thinking, do I do something or do I, you know, because really I get the same thought patterns. Yeah. I understand where it comes from. I do. <clears throat> but then, then you do what you do, what you feel inclined to do. And I went over there and said, stop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you could imagine uh, anger went towards me now, right. you know, because, you know, which is okay. Like, in a way, it's like, give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> really. Like, and again, I'm no even close to a, a kind of special person, but, but like, give it to me. Because the more you give to me, the less you have to, you know, get. This podcast is brought to you by Onnit. Onnit.com slash overcome. You will get 10% off your order. And on it, such an amazing company with an amazing culture, a generous spirit to give you the knowledge, whether it's working out, just giving you the best supplements you can, or it's giving back. They're giving back to fight for the forgotten. On it.com slash overcome. Amy, can you bring up what that looks like? I think of the top left. Yes. Zoomed in it. It's even got overcome with Justin Wren special. Receive up to 10% off when you check out. You can get that on the new Alpha Brain Black Label with a little bit of a kick. It's in that badass black bottle. It's the coolest packaging for any supplement I've ever had. When I got it, I thought it was it's like something. Sexy. It is. But when I opened the thing, I thought it was going to start like, I don't know, s- smoke or fog coming out of it. I was like, this thing is badass. Yeah. And the metal's cold when you get out of the package. So I was like, is this thing like a dry ice in it or something. I don't know. And then new mood. I wanted to talk about new mood a little bit. I just went on a trip and was with a bunch of guys that I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with. And we all were taking new mood. We were, they were all taking alpha brain too, but I brought up some stuff. Let them try new mood. Can you pull up how it looks on the instant? There we go. And go down to some of the different flavors because they're really fun. The orange guava is without a doubt mm-hmm. Probably my favorite, although the pineapple's really great. Pineapple punch. Let's go down a little bit. I forget what the lavender is. If it's hibiscus lavender oh, on the I think flavors. It's elderberry. Elderberry lavender. It's called lavender al- elderberry, elderberry lavender. And then I think they have mango also. Mango. Yeah. Pineapple, orange guava. Why would mango. I know all these flavors? Because I try them. Uh-huh. And I really love them. And we mix them in with stuff. We do. We have <laughs> fun, whether it's our lim- uh, our Onnit Palmer. Or mm-hmm. Limonit Aid. We're coming up with some more fun names for the instant flavors. And uh, I love on it. New Mood helps me relax. Uh, it's got tryptophan in it or however you say it. And it, it makes you a little relaxed, almost like it's out of turkey. And then um, the 5-HTP, which maybe that's the tryptophan, the T in tryptophan. But uh, there's a bunch of other good stuff inside new mood go to onit.com slash overcome get yourself 10 percent off and try alpha brain or new mood or shroom tech sport or shroom tech immune or viratech it's all really 
good stuff. Their protein's great. Um, their pre-workout doesn't make you jittery. And uh, I love Alpha Brain because it gets you in that flow state faster and keeps you there longer. So overcome.com slash uh, onit.com slash overcome <laughs> for 10% off. Thank you, Onit, for supporting the show. And thank you, listeners, for supporting me, supporting Onit, supporting Amy, and supporting the mission and vision of this show to become the most meaningful podcast that changes people's lives, you, the listener, but also we're going to really change some people's lives and bring them on the show and tell their stories. Thanks on it. Anyway, I, I, obviously I didn't stop at a subway stop that night. I kept going, you know, and uh, when I got down to the South Ferry, I had a lot of time to think and, you know, part of it was what I was going to do with the found We wound up doing these programs. Um, but Part of it was just like, you know, I didn't need a degree in any of this social stuff or um, or psychology or sociology or, you know, any of that stuff. I understood the human condition. Mm -hmm. And that was enough. I've, I've had a lot more than that, but that was enough right there. That was a crash course. Yeah. And that obviously her life went bad and... He was to blame. But what had stayed with me was all these kids, that's the root of it. You don't have to really. I, I know that, uh, you, that for the most part, that's the root of it. That they feel that they're not good. <clears throat> they're not good. I mean, I, I, I can make it, you know, I know you can articulate it in much fancier words, but it don't have to be fancier. They... They come from these places where they don't think they're good. And if you don't think you're good and you don't think you're worth anything, they don't think they're good. They don't think they're worth anything. He, he, he's a piece of crap. He was, that's what he was told. So if that's what you're told and if that's what you're brought up on, that you're, you're those things, well, answer me a question. How are you supposed to, if you're told, taught that you're no good and you're worth nothing and... How do you then care about someone else? Mm. How do you in any way parlay that or connect that to where you, where somebody else is worth something? If you're not worth something, then, then how's someone else worth caring about or someone else worth caring about their feelings or someone else worth, you know, uh, in, in a way that is, that matters. If you don't matter, then how does someone else matter? So it starts to, so for me, that's what boxing did, does. It lets you know you're mad. It lets you know that you, you can feel proud of yourself. Mm. You can feel good about yourself. That, that you start to get an injection, if you will, mm. of all these things that have been missing in your freaking life. Yeah. That you should have gotten an injection when you were a little teeny baby, but you just missed it. You didn't get it, unfortunately. Yeah. And you got the other stuff. And that's for me, that's boxing. Yeah. Teaching you that you're worth fighting for. Mm. Wow. They, they got injected with almost a poison. And so the anti not almost some sort poison. of well, yeah, absolutely. To be honest. Yeah. They injected with poison. Yeah. Numerous different kinds, different different types. And then you inject in purpose or you inject in hope. Reinjecting the words 
you matter. And maybe a coach starts telling you that, but then you start believing it and it starts to counteract. And it takes a while to believe it. Yeah. Around these kids. I run programs for them in my gyms, you know, for, for years where we subsidize gyms to just to get kids off the street and our gyms do well. And without going heavy into it, um, but they've done well to, to, to help some kids. Right. You know, I don't want to use the word while I'm using it. So I guess it backwards. I'm sorry. It's okay. but, um, you know, to say save kids, but it helped kids, you know? Martial arts saved my life. I, when I was 13 and I was suicidal and uh, was really thinking about doing it, the reason I, I, the only thing that stopped me was the thought of what would this do to my mom? Um, but I wanted to so bad except for her. How old were you? 13. Yeah. But at 23, I did attempt suicide. And at 33, I did again. And, uh, and I would go through these cycles of when I would, when I would feel like I didn't have purpose or that. So these three kids told me, well, there was was, no reason to care about yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, I was told at a, a costume party, uh, growing up, I was invited to my middle school crushes birthday party and and she crushed me, uh, her and my two notorious middle school bullies. They said, uh, I dressed up, got to the door. Nobody else was, was greeted with like cameras flashing people laughing. And my middle school crush said, I can't believe you thought you were good enough to come to my party. Another boy there, Tyler said, um, uh, you're worthless. And then the one that orchestrated it all, there was invitations. There was everyone talking about it. He said, you should just kill yourself. Just like that, that nine-year-old that ended up doing it. But I had a mom that did speak life or injected me with hope and um, believed in me and wanted to help. And they made a real big sacrifice for me. Whenever I, probably the best decision they ever made, my mom and dad, um, they decided to get me out of that school and into another. Thank God. And then- they, that school I was only at for two years. And then I found the sport of wrestling. I started seeing that the best MMA fighters mostly had a wrestling background where Olympians there or NCAA champions. And that, and my mom didn't want me to box at a, at a young age. And so, um, I, well, I was trying to find something cause I first tried to choose boxing and I was like 14. So she said no at that time. But anyways, uh, I went to wrestling and they sent me 67 miles from doorstep to doorstep from my home to my high school. It was a Catholic school. Uh, we had two Olympic gold medalist high school coaches there, Kenny Monday and Kendall cross. Kenny Monday was the first ever African American to win the Olympic gold in wrestling in Kendall cross. And so those guys, my parents made that sacrifice because my mom said, you matter this dream of yours. I played, I played team sports, but I ended up quitting them in middle school because I, I was getting bullied at school. I would sometimes get bullied on the football field. One time I got high load where someone was holding me up top and someone else took out my knees and this was in practice. So they were taking out stuff from school, even on me there. We're just targeting me. And so when I moved schools though, and I found wrestling, it was like, it was an individual sport and there wasn't this passing the blame around everybody else. It was like, Win or lose, it was on you. You know, you have your coaches and everything else. But I started to find purpose. And my mom was really the one that believed in my dream to wrestle. My dad wanted me to play football, but I I wanted to wrestle. And I wanted to be an MMA fighter one day. And that was like my dream. And I had a lot of great coaches along the way. A lot of great 
had five Olympic gold medalist wrestling coaches and, and then world champions or. I'm glad you made it. Yeah, man. I No, no, I really mean that. Thank you. Because not not just for yourself, obviously it starts with yourself, but for all the other things you can do now because of the journey you had and where you got. Yeah. How many people you can help to get from where they got to go. Yeah. And uh, from thinking that they're worthless, you know, from thinking that uh, their life's not important, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you. I'm glad I'm yeah. here. Yeah, I mean. I'm glad you're here. Uh, oh. I, I uh, and I'm glad we're doing this because I really hope through my podcast, I want it to be one of the most meaningful podcasts in the world where we talk about real conversations and how to overcome the the different challenges that come our way in this this fight of life, you say that so well. Yeah, I mean, and, we're all in a fight. It's just a matter of what you're fighting for. Yeah. But we're all in a fight. I've always thought it was the person with the most reasons that usually wins. And when you can stack those reasons, I don't know if you see that with 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 your champion fighters. I think you do. Who was the 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 Russian guy that I think he was Russian that you coached and you reminded him oh, yeah. of his father. You used the word already in this podcast. You said magic. Alexander Povetkin. Wow. Alexander Povetkin won the heavyweight championship in uh, in Germany, but he was Russian, as you said. Yeah. Can you, for people that didn't see that and see that ringside, uh, or you in the corner giving him that talk, what was what was happening? You set that up, and then you reminded him of his father. I knew he was going to hit a wall somewhere in the fight. And you you got to, if you're a professional, Cus would always tell me, Cus tomorrow would, my mentor, he would always tell me, uh, part of being a professional is preparation, that you're prepared for everything. You've seen it already. You've you've gone through the whole thing in your mind. You've outlined it. You've visualized it. Yeah. And so you're prepared for everything. Not just the good, the bad. Mm. Every every possibility. And the other part of being a professional was that your emotions would never get in the way of your job. Mm. No matter what. No matter what. I'll say it one more time. No matter what. I mean, you know, somebody, I mean, to the point where uh, some people would say it's too far. You know, like, I, I'll give you an example. Again, I say what it is. Um, I remember Cus trying to give me an example of that. He goes, Max Schmeling, who had those historic fights with Joe Lewis, uh, he was a hell of a fighter, hell of a fighter, and a hell of a man. We found out later. But he was uh, he was a good fighter. And Joe Lewis was undefeated. The great Joe Lewis was undefeated. He was on his way up. He hadn't fought for the title yet. And he fought Schmeling and smelling the famous thing with Schmeling. He said, I think I see, I think, I'm bad German, I sure, yeah, yeah. but I think I see something. I think I see something. Because Joe Lewis was a big favorite, you know, he's knocking everyone out. And Schmeling did see something. He could count on the right hand over his jab because he laid on the wrong side. Mm. He laid on the right side. And that's an alleyway to the right hand. Yeah. And instead of the left side where you're outside the right hand. So, uh, and he wound up uh, knocking Joe Lewis out, leading the fight. He dropped him a few times. And uh, so Cus was telling me that people don't realize what a great, how that this guy, what a good fighter he is. And he was talking about it, you know, even before he beat Lewis, you know, as Gus was just saying to me. And he said that uh, one of the things, of course, he's a good right-hand punch and he's a, he's 
calm and he's technically solid. He's this and he's that, all these different attributes. But he said the most important thing, he's he really is a pro. How do you know someone's really a pro? It's got nothing to do with that you get paid, nothing at all to do with that. Uh, it means that you're detached from your emotions to the point that nothing will interfere with the objective. Nothing. So what does he use? Pretty Pretty strong stuff. He uh, make you, and look, someone would say, well, that's not a good guy. Whatever you want to call it. I'm just, we're talking about this one particular thing, being a, what Cuss defines as being a pro. Cuss tells me that he's on his way to the ring for a fight. I don't know at what point in his career, I guess maybe earlier. And he's on his way to the ring and one of his corner men collapses as they're going up the steps to the ring. Not not in the arena, but like from the locker room up the steps to the arena, guy collapses, and they don't want him to be, you know, upset. So they all say he just fainted. We'll take care of it. Keep going, you know. We'll take care of him. As he's walking, he goes. He didn't faint. He's dead. And he goes and he wins the fight. Wow. He didn't faint. He's dead. He said that to his coaches? Yeah, uh, to the other people in the yeah, corner. Yeah. They said they were trying to, to make him feel, you know, okay, that, uh, you know, that the guy was just temporarily, you know, he, he fainted and would get him some water and would take care of him. He said, he's he's dead. And he went in there and he, he, he won the fight. Um, You know, you could go a lot of places with that. I get it. Nobody has explained to me, but the point Cus was making was <laughs> he reached a place, you know, he reached a place of yeah. because because Cus said and it showed later he wasn't that guy. Yeah, he was a caring guy. You know why? Because when poor Joe Lewis, the great man that Joe Lewis was, and he was suffering after that great career and and was suffering and had no money, and and our government wasn't too good to him. They, he had done, he was a patriotic guy. And when he was in the army, celebrities, especially guys, boxing was the biggest sport in the country at the time, bigger than baseball. You didn't have to go to war. You just, you could go in the army and you could just do, you could just be Joe Lewis, you know, and you could do exhibitions, you could do whatever. So Lewis was in the army and he wants to do what everyone does, serve, serve his, his, his country. And um, they, the army said, no, no, you just do a few, uh, if, if you want, you can do boxing exhibitions. Um, and he said, okay, if that's one of the ways I can serve my country, I'd do it, I'd do it for the, for the armed servicemen and women and for the, for the cause, you know, where the money's raised during these exhibitions. He's heavyweight champion of the world. People came out and they watched. Uh, the money raised for will go to help in in any ways that they, you know, feel that is best served to use the money for the armed services, men and women. So he does it, does a bunch of them. Years later, when he's retired, you know, I mean, it's hard to even say this, but the government taxes him on the monies that he gave. Wow. So he didn't get good advice. Someone should have told him, do it, but do it for a dollar. 
even though you're giving, you know, millions away, whatever it amounted to. But he didn't think that way. Why would he think that way? He's doing a patriotic act. He's doing an act of kindness from his heart. Why should he think that I have to, you know, protect myself down the road that the government, the United States government is going to tax me on monies that I gave away to the servicemen and women? So he was broke. And, um, he was, he was, it was sad. He was a greeter at Caesar's Palace to make a few dollars to greet Joe Lewis. And um, during the years that he was broke, people didn't know. Max Schmeling in the rematch, it was a hell of a story, Justin. Max Schmeling, Joe Lewis, after that fight, he came back and then he wound up winning heavyweight. You know, he kept on the journey and he wound up, he won, he beat. He beat James Braddock for the heavyweight championship of the world. And everyone said, Joe, you're champion of the world. He said, no, I'm not. So what do you mean? You just won the heavyweight. No, I'm not. Not until I beat Max Schmeling. Yeah. So they made that fight. He fights Max Schmeling in Madison Square Garden outdoors. Uh, not Madison Square Garden, uh, Yankee Stadium outdoors. And the whole world's watching. Now, here's the backdrop of the world. Some guy, some maniac, terrible person guy <laughs> named um, Adolf Hitler was threatening to take over the world. And, you know, and with uh, saying, obviously, that he had the supreme race and all this crap. And here he is. And what does he do? Well, now Schmeling's fighting for the heavyweight championship against a guy that he already knocked out, Joe Lewis. It was two years earlier, but he's fighting him. So he, Hitler knows about propaganda and all that stuff. So he puts him up as the poster child for Germany and the superior race and all that crap um, that he's representing Germany and he's represents how they're better than the world. And he's going to knock out, of course, Joe Lewis. So all this pressure's on Joe Lewis. You know, some of these, I'm, I'm not knocking anyone, but some of these people today, when they say they have pressure, they might want to visit the library. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Just maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, That's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Uh, you think? Yeah. And, That's, and, and he's got, so he's got the whole world. A lot of people he, would break under that pressure. He gets a phone call from the president of the United States. Now, who knows if this is legendary or it's real, but I, I tend to believe it's real. He gets a phone call from the president of the United States. Joe, you got to win this one for... <laughs> For the good guys. That's that's some that's, that's some little, pressure. Little that's bit, some weight. A little bit. So he goes in there with a guy who beat him, who knocked him out, his only loss. So he goes in there, the whole world watch. He goes in there, and the backdrop, like I said, is World War, you know, World War II is in a backdrop. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's in a backdrop. It's about to start. I mean, this guy's going across Europe. He's taking over everything, and he's putting all this stuff forward. And and I mean, really. And Joe Lewis is thrown into the middle of this in that way, fighting for the free world. In some ways, wow. So, what does he do? He annihilates Max Schmeling in one round. He destroys him in one round. And then Max Schmeling. Stuff movies made of. That's like well, a Rocky story. Max Schmeling goes back to Germany. And now he's not that guy that Hitler can 
prop up there as, and he was never that guy, but he had no choice. He lived in Germany. Right. He was never that guy, but he propped him up again as the poster child for the, for, for what Hitler wanted him to represent. And he goes back there and they destroyed his house. Wow. They, they bulldozed his house and everything that he owned. And that wasn't enough. Hitler put him in the paratroopers. Now, don't hold me to this, but from what I read, what I was told, what I read in history, the percentage of living in the German paratroopers at that time during war was less, somewhere around 3%. Wow. Under 5%, let's be safe. Yeah. It was crazy. They put him in the past, and he survives. You talk about God having a yeah. Yeah, having a reason maybe for you. He survives it. He comes back. Everything's gone. He's got nothing. And then he gets, there's a company starting up in the United States at the time that had been started already, but it was growing. It was a little company. It was called Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> a little startup company. And they, they, talking about going international and the story is that somebody in the office when they're having one of these meetings about going who do we have in germany that could represent you know our, our product and he said uh we don't have nobody and one guy goes no no there's somebody there's a fighter there was a guy that was a fighter a former fighter max schmeling let's give him a call anyway the end the as they say, the rest of the story is he goes, he becomes the representative of Coca-Cola in Germany, becomes a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And during the time, very quietly, he's sending monies to Joe Lewis. Wow. And he pays for Joe Lewis's funeral. I think Frank Sinatra was also part of it, but he was sending him money for years to the great Joe Lewis. That's why I said at the beginning of the story that that he was uh, he was more he he was a good man. That that yeah he 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 knew the guy dropped dead, but but he wasn't what some people might connect with that. That he was just a cold son of a you know what? Uh, no, he, obviously he wasn't. He was a pro that understood that yeah the guy was dead. He understood what he understood. He faced truths. Yeah. But uh, his heart was damn good. Wow. That's an incredible story. Uh, real, real life, true story. And that's why I think Joe Lewis and these people are great people and those, yeah. you know, kind of ways. What do you think that it is that makes fighters? So, so you have your foundation and I could go through some athletes, but Dustin has his. I really am grateful to have mine. You just told that incredible story. When you said that, that, the two opponents after the fight, two legendary fights, one sending money to the other. It reminded me of one of my fights and a guy that I had knocked out heard that I was, uh, was going to Africa and he ended up buying my plane ticket after I beat him. And just before the fight, we had a lot of trash talk after the fight. We were, we were, you know, you see these fighters that go in there and they, they go to war, they go to battle. And then afterwards they have the biggest hugs, uh, the biggest respect for each other. And right. there's something different about the fighter's spirit or a fighter's heart, a fighter's mind, than maybe a, a 
average team sport or not a combat sport where you have this bond with the other person afterwards. But then I think that the guys that rise to the top, like a Dustin Poirier, who didn't come from a lot, who overcame a lot, who's done so much in the sport, is getting ready for another world championship Big fight. Well, Big one. Yeah, I know. Big one. It's going to be a tough fight. Yeah, it, it will be. be. We'll be rooting for Dustin. You yeah. know, not that we have anything against Oliveira. All That's the true. respect in the guy. world. All the respect in the world for that man. It's awesome to have a fight like that with but two Dustin incredible person. Oh, okay. Yeah, he is. You know? He is. I'll be there. I got yeah. to be at the last one. You were there too. Um, the Conor McGregor. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I was there. I was covering it for yeah. ESPN. I yeah. forgot. You're right. You're right. And then I got to be with Dustin's family uh, because it was COVID and they didn't allow people to be there live in the audience for a second fight with McGregor. I got to be at Jimmy Poirier's home in Lafayette, Louisiana. You know what? The two of the places I've had the best hospitality was there. And good crawfish. Yeah, and know. good crawfish. <laughs> but here... Uh, here also in Staten Island from you and uh, your family. And the, both times uh, when I came to the foundation. I made the dinner, list. Thank you me. made the list. I mean, it's, it's it, it almost feels like it's something out of a, not a movie, but it's it's real. But there's the stereotypical, like just warm welcome and and making sure that we got our, uh, the whole crew here, that we have our our glasses with the ice and the water. And, and you, you went out yourself to get us our sandwiches and my gluten-free meal because I got celiac and Chris's too. I mean, uh, it's, there's, there's something that's great whenever you can look behind the curtain. Cause I've been around a lot of professional sports now. And sometimes you, you get a look behind the curtain and it's disappointing, uh, because yeah, the wizard ain't really too much of a wizard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what do you, what do you think is different about the, the fighter spirit? Um, or why, why, why do they go that extra mile? I guess they might have to do that during the fight. They have to dig deep. And so whenever they feel that pain for somebody, they can, they can have this compassion inside them. They have a different, a deeper well. Because they know what it feels like to go to a dark place. That's it. Bang. Mm. They know what it's like. They know how lonely it is. And they know what it takes to go there. Mm. So they have nothing but mutual respect for each other. They don't have to say a damn word. Just call each other brothers. You know, we always talk about being brothers, being brothers, being brothers. And um, it's, I wish it was more than words sometimes. Because we are brothers. All of us. Yeah. And I just wish people knew, you know, the truth to it. That is really, it's really true. Because we all get scared when we go to dark places. We're brothers in that. You know, forget about the part, the easy one, where we all bleed red. Okay, I get that one. That's been kind of used a lot. And it's not that it's not true. But... We're all brothers in a way that we're scared. That we go to these dark places and we all we all feel the same way initially. Scared. Scared of that dark place. You know, some of us have more discipline put into our lives and structure, you know, put into our lives and confidence put into our lives and love put into our lives and direction put into our lives and care put into our lives and support put into our lives and eventually experience with those things that we we can make the right 
choices in navigating in those dark places. But initially, before we get to all that, we were just in a dark place. We all feel the same thing. The same thing. We get to the place where some of us are better in what we do in those places and how we handle what we do in those places. But one thing that is a brotherhood that joins us and it will never change is how we all feel when we initially get there. We're scared. We're scared. Anyone who's not, I remember Customato one time telling me, he said, Teddy, anyone who says they're not afraid when they're going in a ring, they're one of two things. They're either a liar or get them a doctor. Mm. There's something wrong with them. Mm. There's something wrong with them. They're one or the other. That's it. How true. How true. You know, uh, you could stand in and say, oh, yeah, I'm not a, f-. okay, okay. And that's why, that's why fighters can have that empathy. I know all people can have it, and most people do. But we're talking about fighters right now. And they can have that little, sometimes little extra empathy for weakness. What is called weakness, what is perceived as weakness, what is just labeled by people as weakness, but it's really ignorant to label them because it's not weakness. It's human. It's human. It's there for a reason. It's there because whether you feel better calling it nature or God, it's, it's your choice. It's okay. But it's put there for a reason to get you through things. Without it, we're doomed. But the key is, as Cus would articulate to me, is to learn to control it and don't let it control you. That's the key. That's what we learn in life. You know, don't it's let it control you. Yeah, yeah. It's fireman. Because if you don't, because it's like fire. You know, I'm uh, being a little corny here. Don't mean to be. But being very simple. That if you, uh, it's like fire. If you if you control it, it'll cook for you. It'll heat your homes. It'll do a lot of, you know, good things for you. And if you don't, it'll burn everything around you. And it'll burn you. It'll consume you. And that's it. You know, you'll be uh, dust um, in, in, in whatever form that dust is. You know that uh, for 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 me, it reminds me of we we tried to call someone before this. And I won't use their name, but they just a a brother, a real brother of a of a friend of mine, and he might currently feel like he's in the fire, or he might currently sounded like he was in a dark place. Well, what would you want to say to him or someone like that? you know, that's in that dark place that they might not see hope in the dark. You're not alone. Because that's, see, that's the thing. There's always a part of the cancer that kills you. Mm. You know, there's a part of it that don't kill you. There's, uh, you know, and but there's that one part that kills you. And there's a part of depression that kills you. And I think the part that can do the most damage 
is the part that makes you think that you're alone, that it's only you. I just say, brother, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not in that solo universe. You know, I know that it feels like you are. I understand that. I do. But you're not. You're not. And uh, there's a way out. There always is. There's as as dark as it as dark as it feels right at that moment. The light's gonna come. Yeah, and that's part of the lie. See, that's part of what kills you. That you think you're alone. That's a lie. Lie number one. Lie number two. When you're dealing with these type things, we're talking about pressure, whatever you want to call it, depression, whatever. Lie number two that it's going to last forever. No. It might last 30 seconds. I'm talking to a man who understands exactly what I'm saying. You know, uh, it might last a day. It might last hours. It ain't lasting forever. It ain't lasting forever. It ain't. That's a lie. And here comes the, the third lie. There's three lies. The third lie, there ain't a damn thing you can do about it. It's no longer your choice. Lie. Lie. It's your choice. Mm. Wow. That that reminds me like whenever you're sparring or even in a fight and you're backed up into the corner, corner of the cage, corner of the ropes, and you're just taking like a barrage of punches. Um, you know, you can... You can. You're gonna find you a way out. Or you're gonna find a way in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are you gonna bite down on your mouthpiece and you're gonna start swinging to find that way out, or are you but, gonna take a knee? But the lies. You got to get past the lies because yeah. the first lie gonna come is the way you feel is gonna last forever. No, it's not. Ten second flurry. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what's gonna last forever? What you do, the choice you make at that moment. That's gonna last for eternity. I think quitting's a lot harder. Quitting on yourself, it's 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 easier in the short term. The right? greatest prison for people in the world. It's it's not Attica. Attica's a pretty nasty place, but it's not Attica. It's a prison called regret. Mm. I honestly fear, and I've heard it said in some ways, but I I really do fear at the end of my life and and so i'm trying to be proactive in it right but at the end of life are those the dreams you could have brought to life but it's the people you could have helped and it's the love you could have gave and but but chose not to that's what i'm trying to through the foundation now and other things it's like well thought you couldn't well thought you could Thought you couldn't. Thought you didn't mean enough. Mm, yeah, exactly. Thought you didn't mean enough. You didn't have the resources. You didn't have the stuff to make a difference. Yeah, you did. All you had to do was make a phone call. Mm. I'm sure you've heard this because you started a foundation. I've started a foundation, and there's a lot of people that will come up and tell me, shake my hand, and say, oh, I've been inspired. I've been encouraged, and this is really great, and I'm proud of you. And And, and those things, it's great to hear, but then whenever they turn it right from that to say, I could, I don't think I could ever do that. Or when I get the resources, I will start doing this. You got them. It's a four letter word. We talked about it earlier. C A R E. Care. 
That's all they, that's what people truly want. And that doesn't cost a dime. No, it don't. Just to cost a minute. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does cost time. Does it cost a dime? It's it okay. Time. It's okay. We've wasted enough time in this exactly. world. Exactly. Do something with your time. That that's matters. that's a pretty good thing. Yeah. You know, with all the stuff, my the gyms we we subsidize these gyms and for ten years we we don't anymore. But um, I talked to you about that yeah. off camera. Yeah. But um, but we we did for ten years, and we out of the gyms came a few world champions, a couple. Olympians, a whole mess of gold glove champions. Oh my God. Um, national champions, all that stuff. <sighs> I, as somebody asked me, what's the best thing that came out? Not that. That's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm proud of every one of those. But no, we had a girl that was living in a car with a mother in Brooklyn and she's in the United States Navy now. That's victory. That's pretty good. That's a that's that's, that's a victory that matters. We had a kid that was 15 years old. He was drinking a bottle of vodka a day. Yeah, a bottle of vodka, drinking a bottle of vodka a day, and he got thrown out of his house. A good house, not you know. Some of these houses were not good houses. I'm, we we said that. I mean, the truth is the truth. This was a good house, but it went bad. The kid got around the wrong people, whatever you know, and it went bad. He was hanging out with what they call gangbangers, whatever, and um. That's, that's the terminology. We're hanging out with gangbangers. And he got thrown out, so he's living basically wherever, the streets. And um, like I said, a good family. And got into gyms, stopped drinking, stopped uh, hanging out, obviously, got back with his family. Is he a world champion? Yeah. He just don't have one of those phony belts. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have one of those belts that the WBC, and sometimes it's ridiculous how many they got. Oh, God. Forget about it. <laughs> but but um, what counts is what you are, not what the belt says you are. Mm. What you are. Mm. He's a champion. Who you really are. He's a champion. Yeah. Because he beat that. Yeah. He beat that. And um, so he, right. he, you know, he's, and I, I'll finish it with one thing. I have to do things I hate. Like around the around the time for the dinner, we always do it the Thursday before November. Last year we had to do virtual like everyone else because of COVID. This year we're we're dusting ourselves off, getting off that camera, we're doing a dinner. And uh it's gonna be November eighteenth. So and but this time of year I always hate it because I gotta ask people. I gotta ask people for help. And thank God I get good answers. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to ask. I got to ask celebrities and started to come. And I hate to ask. Oh, man, I, you have no idea. I, I put it off. Like, I put it, I do the opposite of what I tell everyone. Deal with what you got to deal with. You know, <laughs> and, but I, I don't put it off too long. Yeah. I put it off for a minute. And then I get on the phone and I call up and I'm always afraid. This will be the year they say no, but they don't say no. These good people, they don't say no. Thank God. And um, so... I always have to look, again, do the things you don't like to do. You like to do the things where you can help somebody, but but getting the resources, sometimes that's not as much fun. So there was a time where I had to get resources for more resources for the gym. We were we were spending a lot. And um, so somebody said, Teddy, meet with this guy. He's a millionaire, billionaire, billionaire, not even a millionaire, billionaire. That's even better. And uh, meet with him uh, in New York. Again, I would never embarrass him. He can embarrass himself with the way he has to live with his choices if he's embarrassed by it. 
Maybe he's not. So that's okay too. So, but I would never mention his name, but I had my doubts about the meeting. And, uh, but I took it on the hope that there'd be substance to this guy and he would hear the, he would hear what was needed to be heard that we needed money for these kids. And of course, no sugarcoating anything, right to the point. So we take this meeting. My guys come with me. They want to be there. There's five of them, whatever. And me, it really comes down to me and him and, and my five good guys around that hoping it's going to go good. And uh, it didn't go good. <laughs> it didn't take long <laughs> because he he came right out. You know, he's a guy that made a lot of money. So obviously he's, he's got his own, you know, strength of what he believes in and putting it forward, right? Whatever you want to call that, confidence, whatever. And he comes right out and he says, so why should I give you money to to help promote brain damage? Uh, not a good start. <laughs> so uh, my guys are like, <laughs> you know, I, I have peripheral vision, you know? And uh, I know, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Sometimes you just got to just go in there and just, you know, start doing what you got to do, take names later. And uh took me about two seconds to to try to be diplomatic. And I said, nah. Uh, well, first thing uh, is to get people that we guess that aren't ignorant, uh, that would, if they don't know something, they find out about something, what it really is, rather than just go maybe be led by ignorant information of things they assume it to be. Um, that it's just about brain damage. How about it being about, and I wouldn't let him go. He he started to, you know, yeah. wouldn't let him. I just said, how about um, that maybe we have kids like, th and I was thinking about this kid, uh, that was drinking a bottle of vodka a day, and now he's no longer, now he got thrown out, he was living with gangbangers on the street, now he's back in his house, going to school, getting a, uh, getting a degree, and he's never going to be a world champion, but he's going to be a better person. And how about that? What do you think, let me ask you a question, what do you think kills more brain cells, a jab or a bottle of vodka? Thanks for your time. That was the end of that one. We were walking down the stairs. That didn't go well. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> My guys were like, I was like, I turned to one of them, you know, because I had a saying on ESPN for years, you know, when somebody said something that was like Captain Obvious stuff, I would say, that doesn't make you the amazing Kreskin. As soon as we got my guy, that didn't go well. Yeah. Yeah, that don't make you the amazing Kreskin. No, that's cold. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Before I go back in that freaking room and finish it. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not trying to be a tough guy right. I mean, or that silliness, but um, I'm just saying it, it pissed me off. It, yeah. That is ignorance for me. Yeah, if absolutely. You, you look up Webster's Dictionary, if really that, I don't care what Webster says. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I, that's the definition of ignorance. When you just assume that you know something about something when you really have no clue, no clue to say boxing is only about doing brain damage, Th to not give yourself a chance. I get it that you're not going to understand it. I do. But give yourself a chance to maybe learn something that know it's about kids saving themselves. Mm -hmm. 
It's about it's a, the damage that's being done is in these kids' homes mm. when they're kids and they're being abused and being whacked around and 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 I don't mean just physically, emotionally. That's that that's killing brain cells. Yeah. That's damage. Boxing can salvage that, can save that, can change that. They they they're already in a violent world. These kids that I'm dealing with. This is an alternative to violence. That's good. Damn. That's good. You bring up an interesting perspective. I, I had one thing to read you because we started off and, and you support a lot of kids through education and you want to make sure that they're going to school, getting grades, um, that they're attending class. Uh, and I, I saw something on the internet. I thought you'd think it was an interesting perspective. It's a principal. And this principal wrote this letter to parents. And I just wanted to get your take on it because First I thing thought, I say is teachers are so damn important. We need, yeah. we need teachers. Yeah. We always did. We always have, but my God, we need them. We need them more than ever. Well, we do. Yeah. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you're good, but this principal sent this out to parents and said, dear parents, the exams of your children are to start soon. I know you are really anxious for your child to do well, but please, but please do remember Amongst the students who will be sitting for their exams, there is an artist who doesn't need to understand math. There is an entrepreneur who doesn't care about history, English literature. There's a musician whose chemistry marks won't matter. There's an athlete whose physical fitness is more important than physics. If your child does, does get top marks, that's great. But if he or she doesn't, please don't take away their self-confidence and dignity from them. Tell them it's okay. It's just an exam. They're, they are cut out for much bigger things in life. Tell them, no matter what they score, you love them and will not judge them. That, that's an educator. Mm. Okay? I don't got to meet this guy. That's an educator. And that's a smart, wise man. And that's a guy who found the right place in life for him. Mm. And I'm glad he's there. But I wish there were more. Yeah. Me too. Well, your perspective, I think the way you're educating people, you're educating people through combat sports, through boxing, through the fight of life, which life's a fight. And every person, whether you like it or not, you're born in this world, you're a fighter. All in it. Yeah. But one of the things I, I, I thought about, meditated on whenever I was starting this podcast was, what would I want to say to people for the name Overcome? And it's, you have overcome 100% of your darkest days. If you're here- you're still breathing. You've overcome 100% of your darkest days. Now it's time to shine your light and share your love with the world or the community or just that person right beside you. And I appreciate that you're doing it through your foundation in so many incredible ways. Um, thank you're doing it with your granddaughter. You're doing it with your wife, your, 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 your children, your community, your fighters. Um, you do it through the way you just model life, the way that you interact with people. You see them. You see them, you recognize a need, you take action. I care. You do care. Somebody asked me one time, it's funny, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm being self-righteous in a tiny bit. of. I really am. I apologize if I'm, I'm not trying to be that. I really not. But um, somebody one time at least gave me a minute to make me feel like I was like a tiny bit worth something and thinking like when you're not here no more like what do you want on your epitaph mm. as your epitaph on your 
if there was, you know, on your stone. And um, I said, you know, again, it's it's it feels too too self righteous and or too much about yourself. But the question was asked. You answer questions, <laughs> and uh, it took me about one second to give the answer. What do you want them to say? I said uh, that he cared. <laughs> Two simple words, actually one, but yeah. he cared. Yeah, and you know because I would hope someone cares for my kids and me and my grandchildren. And that's pretty universal. Yeah, pretty simple. That is. I think we've come at a good stopping point, but I want to really thank you for thank being you. here. Thank you for having us in your home in the basement with all these <laughs> amazing posters. I'm looking around. I'm like, this is a legacy. This is incredible. I got to go watch Triumph of the Spirit, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was quite a journey. That was quite an experience. That was shot in, uh, in Poland in the original death camp, Auschwitz. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, it was it was based on a true story of a uh, of a Greek Jew who was before the terrible, terrible Holocaust, the war, the whole thing, the takeover. What we talked about with Schmeling and Lewis, you know, before all that, when it was just starting, and Hitler was just taking over these different places in Europe and putting Jewish people into concentration camps and other people too. Other people, millions of gypsies were, were vanquished. Oh, terrible. In these camps, these death camps. But um, six million Jews. And when he was doing this atrocity, he, uh, these people were all, Something they were all professionals. They all had some kind of background, some kind of vocation. Some, and this particular one that survived the death camps, which not too many survived, was a boxing champion of the Balklands. He was a Greek Jew, and his name—I still remember the name. I trained Willem to look like a fighter, and then I went to Poland, and what I did was I choreographed all the fight scenes. And I even created the fight scenes because they didn't have them created. So they told me we need eight fights, and we created. So I had never done that before. But we, uh, so I trained them for three months at Gleason's gym, and then went to Poland for a month uh, to choreograph and continue training them. And the man that was based on was Salomo Salomo Arush, Greek Jew, and. What they did, besides all the atrocities that we know about, what they also used to do was the SS officers, officers for their own entertainment had their own version of Friday Night Fights. They actually put a ring up in the camp somewhere, and they would have prisoners fight each other. Wow. And the losers would go to the ovens. Wow. And they're literally fighting for their life. Yeah. And this Salomon Rouge was a real fighter. And he won every one of his fights to stay alive. Because if he lost, there was no, you know, like Rocky said, or whoever said in that Rocky movie, ain't going to be a rematch. Not in this place. 
wow. not in his place. So when, so I, I, uh, I was hired by the producer, Arnold Kobelson and Willem Dafoe, the actor, yeah. to, uh, to train him. And I'll tell you a quick funny story. Okay. Do you mind? Yeah, no, not at all. Because I, got time. I, I, in the, they, they decided in the movie, they want me to play one of the fighters. Yeah. I, I think I see you on the Well, ropes. that's me. Yeah. yeah. On the ropes. <laughs> and, uh, and they, we kept shooting that part and I created it. I, I, I wrote it up what the fight was going to be. So I knew how that, you know, I understood. So I wrote it all up and I was so proud. I stayed up all night and I choreographed a piece by piece and I showed it to the producer. We became friends. Arnold Cobleson, I was so proud. I said, here, look, well, how you like it? He's reading it. He's reading it. Read the fight. How it's going. How it's going. And at the end, he didn't get to the end. He goes, Teddy, not for nothing. I love you. You're the greatest. You're doing an unbelievable job, but Willem's the star. He's got to win. I said, well, read the rest of it. I said, I, I, I get to that. I said, it just took me a while. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, yeah. I, I know. So we get to the part where I'm on the ropes like you're talking about. And everyone's there, you know, and we're shooting it. And here we are. We get to the ropes and he hits me all kinds of shots, right? And I'm obviously, I'm sitting on the last rope and I'm supposed to go to the floor. I don't go to the floor. Now I'm telling you, I'm just telling you that I believe, uh, I, I believe in telling the truth, like we're all supposed to, and really, and I'm telling you the truth. I, I didn't really realize, and then after come, they were so respectful, uh, the the people there and the, and the producer and the director, they were, that they were like after about three or four shots, shootings of it, takes of it. They were like, Teddy, um, after getting in all those punches, uh, don't you think you'd go to the campus? And I didn't even realize because I wasn't. I was still on the rope. And I said, well, no. I said, because he knows he's going to go to the oven. So somehow, and I justify it. I said, boy, I was I was magnificent saying it. I said, somehow he finds the fortitude, the intestinal, something inside of him that keeps him on that, and it doesn't allow... And, and then all of a sudden, Arnold, the producer, goes, he goes, really? And then Willem, Willem steps up and says, or, oh, Teddy, with all due respect, could it be you just don't want to take a dive against somebody like me? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, it could be that. <laughs> Let's do it again. Yeah. And then finally we did it again, and I fell down. fell down. I fell down. Everyone yeah. was clapping. <laughs> Bravo! You know, they were like, yeah. and I was, yeah, it was, I was having problems. I was having trouble. So the cutest part of the whole thing was when, when, uh, when the premiere came out, they flew us out to California, red carpet, you know, that whole thing. And my whole family, of course, I'm bringing my whole family. And I go out with my family. And my son at the time is probably little 10. What a, what a, I'm very blessed for my son and daughter, my grandchildren. And he's, uh, I don't know, he's like my grandson now. He's, he's probably only about four years old or something. And, so he's walking on a red carpet and all the photographers are taking pictures. Stay still, take pictures. And they're all taking pictures. He's just, and all of a sudden, Willem comes walking out. Hey, Teddy. Hey. And he goes walking right over. No, no hesitation, no anything. He just walks right over to Willem. And my wife's standing there. We're all standing there. Four years old. 
walks right over. He said, you didn't beat my father. He, he let you win because you were the star. And he walked away. <laughs> and Willem's standing there, Willem's saying, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 you're, yeah I'm, yes, you're right. Uh, you're, you're right. He goes, yeah. Okay. And then he walked. <laughs> Got that straight. Yeah. Got that straight. At four years old. Four years old. Wow. That's awesome. I just had to tell that story. No, thank you for telling the story. I'm looking behind you. And it, uh, I don't know who wrote that to you. I'm trying to read it. Maybe that's that's Arnold Cobleson. Okay. And, and it, go ahead. You can read he it. He said, Dear Teddy, if you are so good, why are you on the ropes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uh, contribution to my film was so great that I could not have done it without you. Next time, ask for more money. Yeah, because we argued about the money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but with much appreciation. And then Arnold Coulson? Coulson. Coulson. He, he was okay. a huge producer. Yeah. I mean, he did huge. I, I wouldn't even do him justice. Yeah. How, how many movies? I mean. Well, I love Willem Dafoe, too. Him and Arnold, they must the have been The Fugitive great. was one of them. But Fugitive. there was so wow. many of them. Wow. You know, with Ford, with Harrison Ford. Yeah. And, uh, he did Platoon. Wow. Uh, you know, which was wow. really, was really uh, Willem's oh, yeah. coming the out. Academy yeah, Warren that was. Of platoon. Yeah. That so was his coming out Academy Awards sort of saying, movie. Yeah. You could ask for more money. No, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Willem, he, he made a, a movie, Boondock Saints, where he was in. Oh, that, God. And that's an incredible oh, he's He plays, he listen, I love Willem. I love him. Yeah. He's really good for playing these sickles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he is good. Good, almost too good. Yeah, almost too good. Like scary good. <laughs> <laughs> He's That's the man. Funny. He's that, the man. This movie, I can't wait to watch. I'm gonna watch it with the woman I plan on marrying, who's normally my producer on the show. She couldn't be here today, but that fight, I had no idea that ever happened at the concentration camps. Yeah, and I didn't either. I a lot of people didn't. Wow. They. Most that reminds people, me of the book. People. Have you heard of Viktor Frankl's uh, "A Man's Search for Meaning"? No. He was a survivor in the Holocaust and he, I think the premise of the book basically explains it like this, that it was the people with the most meaning that survived during the Holocaust, that you could see someone with a little more meat on their bones, I'm paraphrasing, when, or someone that survived that, you know, looked like a skeleton with skin on. The reason that person survived was they had more meaning and, and, and looking at it, you would see people that they could work, didn't have a lot they, of purpose. They could work. Yeah. They could, they could, yeah. They could work and do what the Nazis want them yeah. to, or they could just find it in them to survive and not die some yeah. of the time because because they had a sense of purpose or meaning. Maybe it was someone on the outside that wasn't in the camp, or they were they were split the up connection from family, and if they purpose. didn't survive, their family would be without them. Yeah, and they would never see them again if they didn't survive. A connection, connection to a to, purpose yeah. beyond themselves. Yeah, and that, I mean, beyond their be physical fight, selves. Exactly, yeah. and to be able to fight for your life and win every fight. That makes sense. Obviously, yeah. There's a power. There's well, a power was, to that. This has been powerful to me. I do want to say thank you on air. To you, but also our friend Dustin. The, you guys have supported Fight for the Forgotten. Dustin and the Good Fight Foundation have supported Fight for the Forgotten in an incredible way. And I want to ask any supporters of, of Fight for the Forgotten that are listening to this now that they could go uh, to you. y'all's website and they could donate because November 18th, uh, is that it? November 18th? Yeah, it's, coming year, it is. Yeah, it's, coming, yeah. it's coming up soon. It's coming up soon. So if any of our supporters 
uh, would like to give a, a donation to you and all the great work Thank you. that you do, I'd ask him to. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate that. And I appreciate yeah. what you guys do. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Uh, I guess rise up, overcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Teddy Atlas. What a man. Now you're bearing your voice all over the place. Oh, well, how can I not with Teddy? Um, I'll start whispering real low, get you pulled. Dynamics is what you're like. Dynamics. Dynamics. Like the dynamics. (laughs) Hopefully that didn't hurt your ears if you had earbuds in. Interesting dynamics. Yeah, he is, but he even does that with his granddaughter. So Mara. No, it's, I mean, it. It Where'd makes Mara people go? interested. Where'd Mara go? And then all of a sudden, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watched him on the couch for quite a while while so our cute. team set up the podcast stuff. And what an inspiring person um, to speak life into Chris, who nine months earlier was going to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. And on his way, he got a notification that Joe Rogan dropped a new episode. I got a message from him that night. They decided not to do it. And nine months later, I got to walk the Brooklyn Bridge with him. And he said, I just can't believe this. I can't believe it. And I go, we got to change that. <laughs> Amy told me this. What'd you tell me? Well, I don't, I don't you said, allow I any can. of us to say, I, I can't believe it anymore. Yeah. We wipe that from our vocabulary. Because then it. the universe goes, oh, well, you know, this person can't believe it. So I better not give them any more miracles. So you have to say, I can believe it. I and then it's like, oh, okay, great. Here's more. Yeah, I had, Chris, it all. I had Chris saying that, like, hey, stop right now, reframe, let's say, I can't can believe, believe it. it. We're here together, bro, because this is And why can't you anyway, because it's actually happening, so. Yeah, it, it just happened. We're it just, here. It just happened. We're rewriting history. <laughs> and so, uh, Teddy, we're rewriting our future for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wow, you know, suicide's a real thing. Um, Teddy lost people to overdose. Um, we've had some some encounters even, uh, even today and someone on Instagram, uh, that yeah. had listened to the show and had commented. Yeah. I think you, you pulled that up. I did pull it up. It's, um, TKO auto spa. I don't know the person's name. Do you, uh, TKO go ahead and auto start spa. reading and I'll look that up. Yeah. Um, it's not on their profile, but they're an auto detailing service here in Austin, Texas. TKO Auto Spa. It might be on his Instagram. It's Tyler. 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 Marks. Tyler. Okay, great. He says, we need more of this. He commented on this. He said, we need more of this. Suicide survivor myself shortly after my wife committed suicide. Oh, Tyler. I know. As long as I'm breathing, I have a purpose. Even if it's not 100% clear at the moment, our story must continue. And then said, hashtag mental health awareness, hashtag suicide prevention month. Yes. Wow. And you pinned that to your post. I did because I made a post about, um, you know, suicide prevention month. Yeah. And uh, it's, I forget how I related it, but it was because this girl was on one of those cooking shows and she's trying to open the jar Oh yes, and she can't do it. She pulls out, she can't do it with her hand. She can't do it with a towel. She is thinking on the fly and she looks up her dad's cheering her on. So she just ran to him, gave it to him. He popped the jar. He was like the hero. And I think sometimes when it comes to suicide, you got to pop open a little bit. And if you're shaking up like a soda, maybe you open it up slowly. Right. And let that pressure just kind of but sometimes you got to go to someone else and let them help you open yeah. up a therapist um, and or a friend or a family member. And so I told Tyler in the comment section that, hey, he is he's doing some great stuff on some incredible sports cars. 
um, with TKO Auto Spa. And I said, we're going to get some at-home uh, detailing for your car, for Sydney's car, maybe for my car. My car might not need it. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, or it might really need it. It, ne- it, yeah. needs, it needs it. You're right. <laughs> yeah, like you keep your so yeah. spotless, it doesn't need it. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And then I had a friend, uh, Kale reach out to me today and uh he's gonna fight in honor of his father a really really good friend of mine his father he was my first sponsor in mma brian sykes and uh he was my training partner and i was his um i was his coach in mma and i got to be there for his first mma fight now i get to be there for his son's first mma fight and while brian died by suicide, the autopsy says CTE. Um, the autopsy says he died by CTE, um, which is traumatic brain injury. And, uh, you know, we want to do something to help them. I'm definitely gonna do something to help, uh, Kale, his son. Uh, and I will be there, uh, in his corner, coaching him, taking him through visualization, just like I did for his dad right before, um, his first fight. So this is why to bring that up. Um, I think it's because guys, if you're hearing my voice right now, you really have overcome a hundred percent of your darkest days. Some of them, you might feel like you just survived. I am a two time suicide survivor. I've lost more than a couple of people this year that have died by suicide. And I want to do something about it. That's why we started this podcast. That's why I started fight for the forgotten. This is a real issue. It's the number two cause of death between ages 12 or 10 years old to 24 years old in the United States. I think when Zuby was on, he said it was the leading cause of death uh, in the UK or somewhere in Europe. It's, um, it's something we've got to talk about so that we know what to do about it. And the best thing I've ever done is talk about it, Mm -hmm. seek help, and also learn to love myself. Just like you told me, Amy, love yourself like your life depends on it. Why? Because it does. And uh, so those little acts of kindness, those little things where you see somebody, you smile at them. You don't just walk across the street from them, the homeless guy or the addict or What about that TSA agent? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Actually, that was part of the post uh, on my Instagram mm-hmm, with the was. jar. I saw a TSA agent going to Virginia and he looked really down. It wasn't busy. And he literally had his hand over his face. And because I have clear, cause I, I need to, I travel How old a lot. was he? I would say he was probably in his thirties. Okay. Uh, red like hair. Around your age. And, yeah. yeah. Around my age, red hair. Um, not that in in shape, not that that matters, but just looked like he wasn't in a healthy spot, mm-hmm. maybe physically, but absolutely mentally, because you could see it through his body language. And I went through uh, the security line, and I go, "How you doing?" He goes, "I've I've been better." And um, and anyways, it was just real striking uh, how I, after that he goes, I, "I go, what does that mean?" And he goes, "I just exist." And whoa, that's a, that's not a, a good thing to say. I just exist. Yeah. And so I, I go, well, I hope your day gets better. 
and I walked through the line and I thought, oof, is that what I really want to say to him? Hope your day gets better. Yeah. Uh, I, I had my stuff on the bins, my shoes off mm-hmm. and I was walking through and I grabbed my stuff off the security line and I was holding it stacked up together. And I went back up to him. I had to wait a few because some more people came through. And I just thought, what can I say to him? And I go, hey, excuse me, buddy. And I had a security guard looking at me, another TSA agent, like, what are you doing? And I just kind of held my finger up, like, hold on one second and pointed at him. I needed to talk. And uh, when he looked at me, he's like, oh, what's, what's going on? I go, uh, but he looked sad. It looked like he was about to cry. Should I go, hey, man, I don't know where you are in life, but I've really been down a couple times. I'm a two-time suicide survivor. This is Suicide Prevention Month. I just wanted to let you know, man, it gets better. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I want you to know, man, there's people out there that will help you, and you can help yourself, but you got to love yourself. You go, no, that's a lot. I'm just a guy, but I started a nonprofit, and I, I tried to kill myself twice, and now I get to help people. So I want you to be encouraged today. He just looked at me and goes, wow, thanks. You know, and I needed to hear that today. And so something small didn't take a lot. It, it, it took, it took that sometimes the greatest things in life or the most you will be able to help somebody is just if you take that five, 10 seconds of courage, just to decide to change your mind. I was just going to walk through the security. That was my plan. Well, yeah, because that's kind of a hard place to go back. It's not like, yeah, and you're interrupting like the you're guy in the on his job. Shop, you know, where you can just go back in. It's like, yeah. um, am I going to be arrested? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I try, the times I follow my gut, the times I follow my intuition and follow my yeah. heart, um, yeah. follow my heart, uh, good things happen. And it's hard sometimes. Um, sometimes you got to, there's a, there's a calling into courage, like, you know, that that five, 10 seconds of, of courage, but I really hope it meant something to him. And I, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I was worried by that. I just exist. And I've been better and looked like he was going to cry and I'm only there and I'm taken off on a flight. So as I walked through security and got through, um, you know, you put your hands up, it scans you. And I got through there on the other side, a guy was, was like looking at me. I don't know if they saw me look at him or what, but he looked like he was kind of a leader there. Um, a big, strong African-American man looked real nice. I looked at him and he kind of looked at me and it was one of those looks like, what's up? So I said, Hey, I, I just wanted to say like, uh, your man up there, I won't use his name, but I was like, your, your agent at the front, it, it looks like he's going through a hard time. It's suicide prevention month. I work with people. It'd be awesome if you could check in. I'm not saying he's, he's suicidal type thing, but he, I know he's down. And so if there's any way to check in on him whenever he has a break or take him to lunch or, you know, just check in on your guy, that'd be really awesome. He goes, wow, thanks. Thanks for the heads up. I was like, cool. You know, so at least I did something. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, you don't have to live thinking, what if, what if yeah. I'd done something? And I think it's those little times when we ask, what if, like, what, like, why not just go ahead and do it? So you don't have to wonder what if, because then yeah. you know, you, you did what you could yeah. in that moment. Right. And sometimes it was just little small things it's that make a big difference. It's almost always mm. small things. It's yeah. almost always just saying something. Because mm. I know people have said stuff to me that they didn't even probably realize at yeah. times. And it stayed with me and helped me in ways that they will never even know. 
Yeah. Um, so this is a long outro, but I hope it was worth listening to. I know it was. And, uh, it was great. Yeah. I know it was. Of course it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I don't know where you're at, but what I do know is you got breath in your lungs. They're here. You got a beating heart. I don't know where you're at, but you're here. You're here. And that's a good sign. You don't just exist. If you got a pulse, I promise you, you have purpose. There's purpose in your pulse. There's purpose in your pain. And uh, because I've gone through a lot of pain in my life, I also get to help alleviate other people's pain. And uh, yeah, Teddy's been able to do that. Amy's been able to do that even in my life. And so who can you impact? Whose life can you change for the better? How can you make this world better? It's a good question for us all to ask ourselves as we overcome the greatest challenges in our lives so that we can make the difference and be the person we want to be. Thanks for listening. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.